If you have your Bible tonight, you can turn with me to Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49. We've been here in Isaiah for a few weeks, and it's been interesting. Uh, Leading up to Isaiah 49, the previous six chapters in Isaiah deal mainly with Cyrus. And you've heard his name a few times in the preceding weeks and how God would send him a, a pagan ruler to free Israel from captivity. Reminding us that God is in control. He can choose to use anyone he he wishes to accomplish his good purposes. And then beginning with chapter 49, where we are tonight, and then for nine chapters, what we find points to the Lord's servant. We're going to see the Lord's servant described tonight. Uh, But really, the next nine chapters are about the Lord's servant What we're going to discover, and I trust you already realize this, but what we're going to see is that the Lord's servant can be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be born as a baby and then live a sinless life and then go to the cross for sinners. The Lord's servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only restores Israel to the promised land, but also will redeem God's elect from every nation. We have a Redeemer. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage we're going to look at in a moment points to this, but let me just give you a reminder of where we've been so far. So far in our studies here in Isaiah, we've learned that there is rest for God's people. God's rest is for all people who put their faith in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, because He gives hope to His people. And when there's hope, there's rest. He makes himself known to his people. When you know God, when you know the one who is in control, you can rest assured that he is in control and he cares about your life and he is at work. He gives his own presence to his people. When you know God is near, you can rest. He redeems those who are his own. Praise God that he forgives our sins and redeems us and makes us his own. He shows his own people their future is completely in his hands and we often need that reminder because sometimes we think things are out of control the way we look at them in human terms we think oh no this is this is not good this is out of control but things are never out of control god is always in control and god reassures his people we often need that reassurance that he is there and what we heard last week was, is that God reassures His people and says, Now follow my word. Now do as I say. And trust me along the way. And I will be there for you. This evening we're going to see that there is rest for God's people because God sends His servant into the world. Look at Isaiah 49. And I want you to follow along as I read verses 1 through 6. Isaiah 49, beginning at verse 1. Listen to me. O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, 
You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And verse 5 says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the nation of Israel, God's chosen and beloved people, had rebelled against God's righteous and holy requirements, but repeatedly God shows them His grace. Do you realize that God shows you repeatedly His grace? Has shown you repeatedly through your lifetime and continues to show you His grace? He did that with His chosen and beloved Israel. And God's grace can be seen no clearer, of course, than in the sending of His servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapters 49 through 57 speak prophetically of the coming Messiah and the term servant. It's interesting, when you read those chapters, you'll find the term servant is used about 20 times. God has been gracious to send His servant. Jesus came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Praise God. God is gracious to send his servant to the world to serve sinners by enduring great suffering for them. God will rescue his chosen people through his suffering servant, of course. But we're seeing here in the text that God is also sending his servant to the whole world. It is through the suffering of Jesus Christ that salvation is brought to all sinners who trust in in Christ. God brings salvation through His suffering servant and He gives eternal rest. There There is rest only in Jesus Christ. If you want rest, the world around us is restless. They're restless. They're always grasping and looking for the next greatest thing. And yet when you find Christ, you found the greatest thing and you found his rest when you put your trust in him. As we look closer at the text tonight, we're going to learn more about God's sending of this servant, Jesus Christ. We're going to see here his mission, which is closely related to his work on the cross. It's here we're also going to see clearly that Jesus is the light of the world. Not only for Israel. Yes, sent to redeem God's chosen people, Israel, but, but also to the whole world. So first, let's consider the commissioning of God's servant. We see it in verses 1 and 2. Look again at verse 1 and think about this question. To whom is salvation through God's servant offered? Looking at verse 1, it is offered to the whole world. Listen to me, it says, O coastlands, to the farthest reaches... From coast to coast and coast to coast, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people, from where? From afar, says verse 1. 
And then if you skip all the way down to verse 6, it says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Just in case we didn't get what, what to the coastlands meant, verse 6 clears it up and it says, to the ends of the earth, God's servant would be a light. Know what God is making clear here that he wants the whole world to pay attention to. There are two things seen in verse 1. And this is a prophetic passage. Let's not miss this. This is a prophetic passage which points to the Messiah being the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not named here, but this could apply to none other. First, this phrase, from the womb, from the body of my mother. And then right after that, it says, he named my name. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. God would send a human being from the womb, from the body of my mother. God would send a a human being. The Lord Jesus Christ would take on human flesh. And, of course, this life would come born of a virgin. And he would have a name setting him apart as distinct as an individual, not a nation, And God's servant will restore Israel and save his elect people from every nation. Of course, God the Son has always existed from before the beginning of creation. This prophecy of Isaiah is about the coming of Jesus as a baby who is sent on mission to be born for the mission of saving sinners, for the mission of salvation. So God's servant was given the work of offering the world this free gift of salvation. And I want you to note that it says in verse 1, He he named my name. God the Father singled out Jesus by name. God the Son. This reminds us of a couple of passages. One Old Testament, one New Testament. If you think about Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, the virgin, virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And there it says, which means God with us. God is gracious, isn't he? To send his own presence into the world in human flesh in God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now note that Isaiah 49 verse 2 talks about the mouth of Jesus being like a sharp sword. You see that? Think about this. The idea here behind this mouth of the servant being like a sharp sword, the idea is that the words of Christ will be like a sharp sword of judgment. It's a reference to the Word of God here. And God's Word is like that, isn't it? It brings judgment. It also brings life, as we saw in the psalm, as we read tonight. It brings life, but it also brings judgment. And the servant's mission is one in which speech will be so effective that it will conquer his enemies. 
God's word is always that way. That's why I am convinced that the best way to witness many times is just to tell people what the Bible says. You almost don't need to explain it, although it helps to explain it. It helps to be able to explain it, but you don't have to be really good at explaining God's word for God's word to be effective. Because when you tell people what the Bible says, God will do the work that he intends to do with his word. The servant's mission is one in which his speech will be powerful and effective. Of course, God's word is always powerful and effective. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is powerful. God's messenger will speak and his speech will be powerful. And with his speech, the Lord is calling on the whole world to, to what? When, when you begin at verse 1, what does it say? Listen, listen. <laughs> Listen to me. John the Apostle spoke of Jesus in the same way in Revelation 19 and verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That Revelation passage like Isaiah 49.2, refers to the judgment of the nations. God will judge all people who, who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ will face the just and righteous judgment of God. His word will be powerful and effective. Sounds serious, doesn't it? It is so serious it ought to compel us to be concerned for our neighbors who need Christ and concerned for like uh, the Perry family who was here this morning who who going into Jewish communities trying to tell people about Jesus Christ and and I'm so grateful that we're a church who loves and cares for missionaries who who sends them out and prays for them and gives to support them we ought to pray for more missionaries We ought to pray for more preachers of the word. And we ought to be those who tell people about Jesus Christ ourselves because this is serious. Note also that Jesus was called to his mission even before he became flesh and was born for us. Verse 2 continues. Look at verse 2 again. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Now, first of all, think of this. Um, Being hidden away, Jesus uh, Jesus existed before creation as we know it. Jesus has always been. God the Son has always been. God the Father sent him to be among people in human flesh but before he was hid away he was hid away and and a sharp sword is made for fighting up close when you think about a sharp sword it was made for fighting up close 
And that polished arrow is made for fighting at a distance. So what I see here is language that points to the fact that no one is able to hide from God's judgment. The the serious and sobering judgment of God is far-reaching. No one will be able to, uh, to run from it and hide from it and just do their own thing. Again, this ought to uh, challenge us, encourage us, and, and convict us to pray for the lost around us, people we know who need Christ, to love them enough to, to, to point them to Jesus. Next, I want you to note that we see in verses 3 and 4, the servant revealed. So in verse 3, it sounds like, when you look at verse 3, and, and do look at it again, When you look at verse 3, it sounds like the nation of Israel is identified as the servant. But if we read the passage closely, we see that the details apply to Christ. In fact, Jesus is the representative of the nation. And so God uses the title Israel here. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. God's desire was always that the nation of Israel glorify God. The nation of Israel be obedient. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish the spreading of light, not only to the nation of Israel, but to the whole world. We see that here. So Jesus was sent by God the Father on mission to bring Him, to bring him glory by bringing us salvation. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be. I will be glorified. Bringing glory to his Father has always been Jesus' mission. If you know the New Testament, you know that. You read, you read the, the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the desire of Jesus to glorify the Father. And we can hear it in Jesus' statement in John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How did God the Son glorify God the Father? He obeyed. He went all the way to the cross. And going to the cross was the final and supreme sacrifice of obedience to the Father that Jesus made on earth. Jesus willingly gave himself in obedience to the Father to make make salvation available to the world. And when I think of this, I think of two implications here for us. Uh, first of all, we ought to take this salvation uh, ought not take the salvation lightly. We ought to take it seriously, as we I noted a moment ago. Uh, when you think about the judgment of God, this ought to sober us up and take it seriously. When we think about the grace of God, we ought not take that lightly. We think about the salvation that's available to the world and what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ by giving of Himself by being cruelly treated, but even beyond that, and even more difficult than that, was having the the wrath of God poured out on him for our sins. We ought not take this salvation lightly. It cost our Lord his life on earth, and I don't know that we can even grasp how serious that was for him, how difficult, how grievous it was for Christ. Second, 
we're now on mission. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent on mission by God the Father. Now, we're on mission. Now, God the Son says, I'm sending you to the nations. I'm sending you to tell your neighbors. I'm sending you to tell your coworker. We're on mission. We're, we're, we're given the, the privilege, and sometimes it feels like a burden, but we ought not see it as a burden. We ought to see it as a privilege to make the gospel plain, to speak the truth of Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen. And now look at verse 4, which seems to say that the supreme sacrifice was wasted because the nation of Israel rejected Christ when he came to them. It sounds like it was wasted, doesn't it? Verse 4, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. But get this. It's actually in the rejection by Israel that Scripture was fulfilled. Whether Israel believed or not, God was still glorified through the mission of his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice for sinners was how he fulfilled his mission. And for all who trust in Christ today, we realize Jesus' sacrifice is not a waste, is it? We realize that his his sacrifice is effective. It is not a waste. And verse 4 goes on to say just that. Yet, yet, surely, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. God's servant has been faithful. The Lord Jesus Christ has been faithful. And the sacrifice was worth it. He had been obedient to his Father's will. And who rewards the Son? It's the Father. God the Father rewards the Son. The Father alone. And so we have a reminder, once again, that God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely in charge. God controls the destiny of all the earth and is his own rewards for the faithful. You realize that God is the keeper of all accounts. And again, sometimes we, we forget that and we think that we want to see things settled and, and we forget nothing escapes God. He's the keeper of all accounts. God rewards, rewards the faithful. And Jesus will receive his own reward from the Father. His sacrifice for salvation, for the salvation of sinners, was not a waste. Far from it. In the eyes and purposes of God the Father, it was, it was what he required of the Son. The death of Jesus was not in vain. Jesus willingly gave himself up. No one took his life from him. And think of the value of our Savior's death in terms of our future ministry. It's because Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead on the third day and lives today that we have a wonderful message to proclaim. It means that our future ministry, our present ministry, the ministry that we've already been through, has not been for nothing. It is, it is not a waste. God will use our faithfulness for His good purposes. 
And though we may not get to see all the results this side of heaven, we can trust that God is in control and He is working. And our ministry for God's glory will not be wasted. We have a message to proclaim to the world as we serve the Lord today. What a privilege is ours. This leads us to the message of the servant. The message of the servant in verses 5 and 6. And I want to look at them again. I read them already, but let's read them again. Look at verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me, uh, not speaking yet, and now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. Not only for Israel, for the nations, it says, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's interesting that because Israel rejected Jesus, Through the Messiah, the gospel then went out to the world. And I appreciated what Ty said this morning, which is a really good reminder to us that God wants the nation of Israel to be jealous (laughs) so that they will turn to Christ, so that they will turn to the Messiah. And God honors the servant, God the Son, God's servant, God honors him and gave him strength to bring Israel back to God. So Israel will come back to God. But Jesus is also the light of the world. And we rejoice in that, do we not? We rejoice that the message goes out, the gospel, the good news goes out to the whole world now. To the ends of the earth. That is why we send missionaries, isn't it? whether they be in the States or around the world. It is why we send missionaries. It's why we pray for missionaries. It's why we support missionaries. And we pray for more missionaries. And we pray for more ministers of the gospel. Because the the light of the world is among us in Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is the message that we have for the world. It's the best news they could possibly hear from us. And we ought never forget that Jesus is the light of the world and that salvation, the salvation of the Lord reaches to the ends of the earth. It's a call to the coastlands. It's a call to the ends of the earth for all people to hear to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved, to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. We got to be grateful that salvation is available to all people. We don't have to be selective in who we witness to. It's offered to the world. It's available to all people. And that message is, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Look to the Savior, the messenger we see here. 
Repent and believe. Let's not forget, we are on mission. We have been sent by God, commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ with his good news. And we are now on mission serving the Lord by spreading this good news. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without him, there is no good future. There is no hope. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no rest. And I'm so thankful for the Lord's rest. Because I too can be restless. Maybe you too, maybe you can also be restless at times. But you can rest in the good news of Jesus Christ. You realize that the gospel is not just for people who need to believe it, but it's for people who need to keep believing it. (laughs) We need to thank God for the good news every day. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for His messenger, whom He did not withhold, that He did not keep hidden, whom He sends out into the world and now sends us to tell the world of. Uh, we truly can say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Like, like when we sing the doxology, uh, we ought never forget the Lord Jesus Christ and the goodness of God in Christ.